are listening to Mental Radio, where we talk about mental health from a holistic perspective. I'm your host, Jesse Zuckman, and this show is a follow-up to last week's episode all about loneliness. This week, we wanted to talk about action steps. Last week, we talked about kind of the philosophy of loneliness, why we get loneliness. What do you do? Beyond the philosophy, what can we do? What kind of particular action steps can we take to make ourselves less lonely, uh, especially now in the time uh, of COVID? What do we do? Uh, so we had we, we called up uh, Jillian Richardson, author of Unlonely Planet. It's a great book. You can get it um, wherever you get your books, Unlonely Planet. It's a, it's a manual on how to find community, find healthy community, make friends, all those things. And uh, it's a book that's really changed my own life in my recovery. So highly recommended. So uh, I'm happy to have Jillian uh, meet me uh, with Dr. Broderick on the show this week. Um, But before we get too deep into that, uh, please keep in mind, nothing on the podcast is medical advice, medical care. You don't want to delay in getting care. You don't want to substitute getting care. Um, Nothing on the podcast is medical advice. Uh, You need to talk to your medical practitioner um, about your health. Your mental health, physical health, all of your health. You have to talk to them, not us. We're just podcasters. Dr. Broderick is a doctor, but he's not your doctor. So, uh, and if you want to support the podcast, please share this work. You know, Spotify, iTunes, they do a pretty lousy job of getting the word out about the podcast. So please share this work. Tag me at Zookman. Tag Dr. Broderick Sawyer, Broderick A88. Tag Jillian Richardson, that Jillian on the Twitter machine, uh, wherever you do your social. Um, help us get the word out. And if you want to contribute further, check us out, mentalhealthmedia.org. You can make a tax-deductible contribution. We still have some merch left over if you want some merch. Um, we got some stickers. Uh, if anyone out there wants a sticker, let me know. And with that out of the way, I'm happy to bring you Dr. Broderick Sawyer and Jillian Richardson. And we're here with Dr. Broderick and our guest, uh, author of Unlonely Planet, Jillian Richardson, uh, to talk a little bit about loneliness, action steps, what we can all do to be a little less lonely in this time. So we want to, Broderick and I, we did a podcast about the kind of the philosophical different kind of concepts of loneliness last week mm-hmm. on mental mm-hmm. radio. And, uh, we on the podcast we 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 I think we mentioned Jillian about four times or five times in her book Unlonely Planet. Mm-hmm. So we said, hey, why don't we see if uh, Jillian's available? So uh, I texted Jillian, and Jillian was available. Welcome to Mental Radio, Jillian. <laughs> Thank you for having me. It, this feels like a fun internet reunion that like we all follow each other, and I've never talked to Broderick before, and so to do this. It feels it feels very comfy. Yeah. What, what do you think, Broderick? You think? Are you glad to see? Uh, happy oh yeah, it's good. <laughs> we we were just philosophizing, man. I feel yeah. like when we were talking, I, I was as I was talking, I was like, you know, these are just like my thoughts about loneliness. But I'm am I an expert just because I've spent a lot of time in a situation? Yeah. No, not really. So but yeah, I'm I'm excited to hear steps, action steps. Yeah. What can the people do? What We're can the just, people do? Very people, important right now. The people need action steps. We're just two lonely guys that just kind of like sit and think about being lonely. <laughs> but that is not, that does not really help us get anywhere. So that's why we called you to figure out, you know, what the heck, you know, we, we can sit here and just think forever. 
but uh, mm-hmm. we don't really get anywhere. And you are the expert in telling us uh, what to do a little bit. And and honestly, you know, mm-hmm. if anybody listens to this podcast, they may have heard it uh, before. But if not, you've written the guide to not being lonely. I call this a manual in creating community. Uh, what do you what do you call uh, your 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 book on Lonely Planet, Jillian? What do I call it? Yeah, what do you call it? I call it uh, on Lonely Planet. No, mm-hmm. actually, I took the the tagline that you gave it uh, because I think I was giving it kind of too abstract of a description. Where I'm like, mm-hmm. it's for young people who don't feel comfortable in organized religion, figuring out how they can make their friend group just as much of a support system as organized religion has been for people for hundreds of years. And for you to say, I just tell people it's a guide for creating community. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's a little easier to sink in and it feels more widely applicable. So both mm-hmm. are true. Mm. So, uh, yeah, in this book, you talk all about different ways people can connect, all the different um, kind of methods there are to uh, finding community. And I was at a point where I was disabled, first disabled with bipolar 2, then disabled further with all the side effects uh, from different medications. And, um, and, and, I, and I needed to start my life over, and I was in this place where I'm like, well, how do I do that? I'm in a place I don't really know what's happening uh you know i'm in the pacific northwest i'm 3000 miles away from my home in new york where do i start mm. and through your book i was able to like figure out how to do how to connect with different groups and communities which changed my life no joke um so you know so here we are we're here and there's a lot of people you know they mm. may not have had the same journey but there's a lot of people that need to start a new life there's people that need to that we're in, everybody's world has changed, right? So, um, you know, first let's start, you know, before we get to like the total action steps, what do you see where people are right now? Because you, Jillian, you are the, the facilitator, the connector. Um, you've been thinking about loneliness for years, and now we're in a place that's like this new world. So what do you see just where people are? Before we get to what they have to do, yeah. where are people right now in a time of COVID? Well, so I think there's a lot of shame going on right now where people feel like they should be more mentally healthy. They should be more stable. They should feel happier because there's so much content on the Internet right now with people saying, like, this is the time to write your novel. This is the time to get your life in order, uh, to really figure out who you are and it's not taking into account the fact that we are in a global crisis and just that alone is stressful enough, let alone having so many conversations around Black Lives Matter, racial justice, people having difficult conversations with their family, looking at themselves, all of that stuff. It takes a huge mental toll. Mm -hmm. And I have not seen many people online owning Hmm. when they are not okay. Mm -hmm. And I really take that responsibility seriously with my newsletter and my audience to let people know like, Hey, I had two days when I didn't get out of bed. Like Mm. I felt really sad and heavy and scared that I don't know when this is going to move, like move to a close. Mm -hmm. And just to let people know that, they can be soft with themselves 
and that sometimes happens if like when else would it happen but now hmm. this this is a really unstable time so that's that's a thing that i'm seeing is that shame and to let people know they are not alone in that feeling and hmm. that just cuz you're not seeing it on the internet doesn't mean that it's not happening hmm it's very very interesting you're making me think about loneliness not just in terms of going places to meet physically, but understanding that you're not the only one having a certain experience. That's kind of what I hear you you getting at there. Yeah, totally. What do you see uh, mm. on the ground, Broderick? Um, you're, you're, mm -hmm. you're, you're dealing with clients. Mm -hmm. um, where, where are people right now in your estimation? Is, a, is you know, we see... We see head, you know, we see uh, media websites all the time. We see headlines that pe loneliness is out of control. But is that what you're seeing as well on the on the ground where you're when you're actually talking to actual people? Mm. Um, I think right now people are getting real. Yeah, you know. So um, in a lot of ways, and I think early on in COVID, like March, April, this and that, I think we were still sort of in this bubble of. Oh, well, we don't know what's going to happen. Maybe things will go back to normal really quickly. Da, 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 da. There's still that denial factor. Um, but now that we haven't had our regular vices, you know, going out, you know, without, you know, fearing that I might, oh, crap, I might contract COVID um, or not being able to go into the office and really be regular life, the stress, all of these things. So I see, I see personally um, authenticity rising to the surface in a very real way. And that's why I think. Uh, the protests and everything like that mm -hmm. have been so robust and been so ongoing. I mean, we're tearing down Confederate statues. We're doing all these different things. Like, shit's getting real. Shit's getting yeah. real. But I think when, um, you know, to, to Jillian's point, when shit starts to get real, like, oh, shit, like, here are these real feelings, um, you know, where I would usually be able to just have my vice or think to mm -hmm. myself, well, I know what will happen in November, I'll, you know, this, this, and that. This is what I usually do. So we're so outside of our routine nationally that there's this level of uncertainty. Mm -hmm. And with that uncertainty, there's only one real reality, which is moment to moment, one day at a time. And I think it's tuning people into that present moment experience day to day, which is bringing up questions, you know, um, you know, what do I value in my life? Uh, how, what are these uncomfortable feelings I'm really sitting with? Uh, and it's pushing people, in in my view, it's pushing them into whether it's meditation practices, whether it's trying to build community or changing career paths or getting more real in relationships. Uh, but I think that pain of seeing and settling into reality for the first time, uh, we talk about capitalism all the time. It's just uh, it treats human beings like economic pawns rather than actual humans. So then once that's removed a bit, then here we all are and we're like waking up to, oh, we're humans, we forgot. Uh, but dealing with those emotions, dealing with, oh crap, I don't like my job or oh crap, I don't like my partner. Oh, what am I gonna do? Um, that's all really, really difficult to deal with. So I'm just happy that people are seeing a lot of that, but then it's like, okay, well now what do we do with these feelings, you know? For me, that was a big, a big piece of why I'm not lonely right now. Because first, I was really extra lonely with the COVID, and then more and more people started telling the truth. And I'm a, I'm a person. I have a lot of, you know, <laughs> intense thoughts and intense feelings. 
And mm-hmm. then when when everybody else could start telling the truth about race in society, mm-hmm. you know, including white folks and including white people that I'm connected with, just talking about how big the problem is. You know, it's mm-hmm. not just about being polite. It's not just about saying the right thing. It's not just about it's about overhauling society and that's what it's really going to take i was like oh oh wow and other people are talking like this i don't have to (laughs) i don't have to tiptoe as a white guy i don't have to tiptoe um and that that then i was like oh i feel less lonely because we Mm. are having a more uh honest conversation is that your experience jillian Do do you see the swing of loneliness do you see it getting more lonely or or do you see people feeling more connected in this time where we started with COVID, we were isolated physically, and now we're kind of a little bit more together. Well, speaking for myself, I definitely have, it's been coming in waves. Mm -hmm. And these past two weeks, I've been feeling really lonely. Uh, And so Broderick, with you, I just want to name that I feel like, what a gift to be able to have your, your job as a therapist and be in these safe spaces where people can really express what's going on. I think a lot of folks, uh, myself included, the people I'm around, to not hear what's going on for them emotionally uh, mm-hmm. can feel like I'm a little nuts for the way that I am feeling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Of like, I've noticed judgments coming up of why am I craving physical touch so much? There's something wrong with me. Or like, why do I feel such a craving to meet a new person? Like there's, I should be self-sufficient. I should be okay. Mm. And so for me to actually butt up against this super ingrained individualism Mm. and to notice, like even me, Miss Community Lady, like, wow, I am struggling emotionally. And instead of making that okay and being kind to that part of myself and saying it makes sense... I'm going to shame that part of me and not talk about it with other people. And that's been really big work for me over quarantine is to share with friends what's really going on and to be okay with, with safe people sharing really honestly how I'm feeling. I think I'm, I'm used to feeling put together and then kind of being able to have smaller moments where I can kind of collapse and then put myself back together into just have weeks where I'm like, you know, I'm just not okay. <laughs> and that's what's up with me. I'm not okay. And accepting that has mm-hmm. been new. Yeah. Yeah. And it's making me think about a uh, psychologist, Stephen Hayes, who says, that we're all just carrying around the same secret. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jesse, I promised you I would go off on a tangent about Carl Jung and the collective unconscious. I won't yes. do that right now. Ooh, I want to do that. Just like a little bit. Tease. But it's, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I'm curious about Jung. I've yeah. been, I've had so many friends that I, I'm fascinated by it, but I also like don't understand it. And it kind of sounds like magic uh, talk, but then it's like psycho- psychological talk. So I don't get it. So please enlighten us. Oh, yeah. So um, I'll just give you I'll reduce it because I like stopped reading him. I was like, OK, dude, I get it. And now you're just kind of, you know, are you just speaking more to like sell more books? I don't know what he's doing, but either way. Um, so basically what he's saying within the collective unconscious or subconscious, 
What he's saying is that we all have these base emotions and experiences that are human. So we have that base level. It's all the same, you know. So we have sadness, we have fear, we have these base emotions that we feel, but we all feel those things for different reasons. So Jillian said before, she said she felt a feeling and then she started to label that feeling, right? And that's where, like we talked in our meditation series, we talked about how you have a feeling and then you have that label. That label is what differentiates the base experience from everybody else. So then we look at the label and we're like, oh, this label makes me different. And that's, again, individualism. But the actual base emotion, as we experience that and talk about that emotion in a similar language with everyone else, then we all say, oh, yeah, I'm actually feeling that as well. And then we ask everybody else and it's, just, oh, yeah, I'm experiencing that as well. And it's just language and labeling that separates that base uh, emotional experience. Um, I think psychology is very difficult in that way because it's an organ that you can't see. You can't see the mechanics of it, um, but you can sort of just observe, you know, especially I think for, for me in meditation, being able to observe those, ba those base experiences, being able to observe what gets uh, some of my patients stuck which is just I'm having this experience and here I'll just separate this experience from everybody else's with harsh language towards myself uh, or harsh language towards others or just this othering. But when we see these base emotions uh, as this collective sort of experience, uh, that's what really unites us, um, whereas the language separates us. So it's kind of just the mind, again, once again, getting involved and um, distorting or separating or distinguishing an experience and then sticking to a narrative. If I tell myself, oh, this emotion sadness means that I'm bad and I just keep investing in that thought, then that's what I'll believe. You know, but if I just am sad and I feel that and I start talking about it and just own that, okay, this is a human experience because I am a human and I'm having it, then it's normal. Everything is normal. Um, it's another thing. Freud, Freud put it, I think some uh, woman was concerned, my, my son is coming out as gay, wrote him this letter, and is this bad Freud, and this isn't that, and he says, no, 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 everyone's abnormally normal, and I like can't get that out of my head, and that's, um, that's really, uh, I think, making that, distingu that um, distinction between the labels and just the human, those are two separate things. So we started this conversation talking about going from the philosophical into the action. There we go. But I'm going to argue that perhaps, and Jillian, this is a question for you. I'm okay. going to ask a question Great. that's disguised as an argument Okay. that maybe, maybe just maybe acknowledging, um, acknowledging your own feelings of loneliness is a crucial step and an action to transcending loneliness. Hmm. Just oh, acknowledging where you are and being real with where you are. Yeah. That, that for me has been really big to own that because I think for myself, I there's kind of like this narrative that built around myself of being like a community person. And so I'm like, oh, I shouldn't feel lonely because I should have all of the tools to handle this situation. When in reality... I'm like, of course I feel lonely. I'm in a new city where I don't know people. I don't have a car. I have access to like three human beings. It completely checks out that my experience would be of loneliness. And so if we can just zoom out and look at the 
how the world is operating right now and be like, yeah, I'm lonely. Of course I am. And to give ourselves a little bit of mothering and nurturing to just take care of that part of ourselves that feels lonely. Like do what you would do for a little kid and treat yourself that way with that much kindness. And that's a crucial, I mean, this is a, this is a, this is a pitfall that I fall into all the time. Right. Because like, I agree with you and I love what you just said is like bringing in that mother figure, bringing in the nurturance to where you are in your emotional state, do that. Like, as we talk about in, uh, you know, uh, in childhood abuse and neglect and alcoholism recovery, the self parenting, um, which is crucial because I, I care. This is how I started the conversation. What are the action steps? What do we do? What do we pull ourselves up by the bootstraps? Even in my own like recovery mind, I'm like, I still kind of go there. What, what do we do right now? Instead of starting with where you're starting just intrinsically, okay, be mm -hmm. nice to that kind of self. And then let's gently, let's gently go think about what we can do next and mm -hmm. not just force it. Like, like we do, which is how so many of us got sick in the first place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Bro broader? Kind, of, kind of, yeah. Reworking that inner narrative. And I think kind of what we're speaking about is being able to see, being able to see clearly the numbers on the page to solve the math problem. If I'm too busy pushing away my feelings of loneliness by trying to move past them or make them go away because they're uncomfortable, then I might not understand what it is I'm longing for. What kind of loneliness? You know, do I feel cut off from myself? Do I want a romantic partner? Do I want a friend group? Do I want to expand my spiritual community? If I don't sit with myself um, for long enough to see that, then um, it's, it's difficult to even know what I'm doing. So I might be acting on an incomplete sort of analysis uh, or experience of my loneliness. Um, but I think uh, what Jillian's alluding to is that without that nurturing uh, experience, you know, so sort of seeing these feelings as essentially separate from me and engaging them with compassion, only then, you know, kind of like a, like a crying child, child is throwing a tantrum you know it's not maybe not the time to say hey let's go outside and have mm -hmm. a birthday party all your friends are here that's not that's not <laughs> the time um but soothing those emotions then allows them to sort of settle and then once that soothing is there the acceptance is there the care is there then okay then i can approach my problems from a sense of self-compassion uh rather than just rejecting these feelings trying to get away from them without uh understanding them so Broderick, um, for people who are stuck on that though, because that takes a huge leap, right? Yeah, a lot, like, that's a, a big deal. <laughs> right, exactly. That's a big like easy, just mother yourself, duh. So many people <laughs> I, I, I like so many people are, are like it's hard for them to get there. Do you have any, you know, what are the action steps to start the first action step of acceptance? Hmm. Uh, realize where you are. If you're uncomfortable, mm -hmm. if you can't sit still. If you're distracting yourself, notice that you're distracting yourself. You know, I had a, um, a friend of mine, um, Dr. Street Russell, I, I work in a uh, group practice with him, gives me a call and, and asks me, okay, when you're using, and we do this all, all the time, like, well, this, this thing isn't working with this client. What, what, do, you, what do you think? Um, and what he says is, well, I have a client who's noticing some resistance to something. Um, how do we get them to not uh, resist that? 
And my, my answer, my response was, get them to notice the resistance and sit with the resistance first and be fully present with it first before you move on. Because you can't be where you're not. You know, so if someone's listening to this and is like, whoa, I, I'm not ready for that. Okay. Like notice that you're not ready for that. What are you ready for? Are you ready to, I don't know. Are you ready to pick up, pick up Jillian's book, you know, read it and start thinking about it? Are you ready to try maybe just a couple of, you know, a couple of tactics, call a friend maybe once, once more a week than you had? I, I don't know. But just being where you're at and noticing when you feel uncomfortable, like you're moving too quickly uh, or you're not ready to engage yourself with self-compassion, just really being where you're at because that's the only place you can be. What do you think, Jillian? I love this advice. I, I am so enjoying this conversation. I'm like, ugh, to be engaged also with like someone with the therapy background feels so good. I'm like, I want to do this all the time. Um, yeah. I think what you said completely resonates with me. Like this act of noticing where you are. And I've seen this in myself as well, the, the noticing being like, okay, I know where I want to be. I know how I wish I was being. And I'm just going to accept that, like, I'm not going to meditate right now. I'm going to watch a TV show for two hours and I'm going to go to bed and not beat myself up for it. Like, I, the thought of sitting in stillness right now, I can't handle it. So I'm not going to for now. Uh, that's not a thing I hear talked about very often of this kind of in-between phase of recognizing where you're at and maybe that you're not ready. You're like, I know what would be good for me right now and I can't get myself to do it. And this whole personal development culture is like, well, then you're a bad person with no <laughs> morals and you suck. Like, leave this planet. It's like, no, no, no. There are the reason people are obsessed with personal development stuff is because they're like trying to force themselves out of that spot into this different place. And I just love the advice, which part of me hates it as well is um, like, you'll do it when you're ready. And I'm like, fuck that. That's the most annoying advice I've ever heard. I, that's I hear bro I hear Broderick's uh, voice in my head a lot when I'm relaxing now, Be and th and this is some there is this in between state, and I think it's not even it's it's something you carry with you, which is like if you are gonna watch the TV show, really like it. If you're gonna get the Chinese food, the greasy New York City, you know Chinese food, and you're having a cheat day, enjoy it because so often what I do and a lot I know a lot of people who do they do the bad thing, but then they're judging themselves the whole time, and then they're not mm -hmm. even relaxing, and then the next day you're not even really satisfied. Instead of just like going all in on the indulgence and being uh -huh. present in the pleasure, mm -hmm. so then you could go be move on, experience that fully, and then be like, okay, now I can push a little harder to do the action item, you know. The, the day after yeah the mindfulness piece and i was um re reading a little bit of jillian's book where she's talking about first got to new york and she just started doing a bunch of stuff and then she realized very quickly i just increased my sketch i just made it <laughs> i was busy i wasn't actually connecting and that takes mindfulness mm -hmm. but within that she sort of gave herself to the experience it was like okay let me all the chips into the center of the table 
let's like do this thing and very quickly realize, oh, wait, that's not it. Mm-hmm. But if she's like one foot in, one foot out, well, I wasn't really sure. This in-between space, we feel like we have to decide. Um, and that's also had a lot to do with with myself and, and healing trauma uh, and especially substance use. Like this is where I had like a not so good pot addiction. Um, and I remember uh, Ram Das, uh, always talking about Ram Das, meditation, spiritual teacher, in the back of my head. And he goes... Um, Sometimes you let go of your attachments and sometimes they let go of you. So as you sort of lean into that experience, then I realized like, oh, wait a second. I don't need to take seven, 10 hits of this. Like, oh, wait a second. I wake up the next morning. I'm like, wow, I feel really groggy. What happens when I don't do that? You know, Mm -hmm. and then I just pay attention. You know, we are really the ways in which we are, but we can always observe that experience um, moment to moment rather than you know, let me reevaluate at the end of the year how I want to live my life. Oh, you can do that in two seconds, you know? It's so refreshingly honest. And this is why I love the work that both of you do, because I do not hear folks who are in this world kind of owning their own shit or like, here are places where I'm still growing. Like Mm -hmm. for me, uh, it's not pot, it's food. And to just be like, okay, like I've gone to Overeaters Anonymous meetings. Um, I've been in like so many conversations around food addiction and to be like to take the self-flagellation out Mm -hmm. and to just notice the behavior means that the cycles are quicker and farther between or farther apart Mm -hmm. you're like okay like i ate the bag of chips and now i feel like shit and i know why i did it and this isn't going to turn into three days of me just eating ice cream like this will, we're going to change it because the shame isn't there and the secrecy isn't there. Uh, so I really appreciate you saying that. Yeah, of course. Yes. The shame is just a human. What do, what do I, what do I say all the time? We, we didn't choose. <laughs> what do I say all the time? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. We, we didn't choose who we were born to. So then our personality is a collective, a collection of experiences based on an experience we didn't choose. And then all of those patterns are reinforced. So then in that way, a broad arc is just sort of happening rather than me choosing anything. But I can, when I stop acting as if I'm choosing, then the shame goes away. Then I can't blame myself. You know, I'm just sort of happening. And then if I just watch a little bit, then I say, oh, then it's just slight moderations and different things like that to my behavior. Um, There's more space to play without the the sort of pressure of, of shame. You know, and again, individualism, I think, really contributes to that as well. So if you are able to be present, if you are able to do this work, and if I may just plug our own work for a moment, if you're having struggling, something, if you're struggling there, one, something that might, ha- might help is our meditation series over at mentalhealthmedia.org slash meditation, or you just subscribe to Mental Radio, wherever you get podcasts, and you're going to hear this meditation series that uh, by Dr. Broderick it starts with breath work, goes um, to a mindfulness meditation, and then a compassion meditation. Everything you need to know to start meditating and to be present with where you are and your emotions is all right there. You don't have to pay uh, a fancy mm-hmm. guru. You don't have to go mm-hmm. to anything. Mm-hmm. I paid the fancy guru. You don't have to, though. <laughs> we got Broderick. Our fancy guru is for the people and free for the people. So um, you can start there. And if you've done all of that and you're kind of 
or maybe you're starting on that and you don't know what then you know you're you're still processing that piece of um your unloneliness journey what are some things you can do broderick you mentioned like some things you might be thinking about are a partner or friends or kind of a community group Jillian, can I'm, I know you're thinking about this these days. Like, mm-hmm. are these things you can even do now in COVID? We're all on Zoom. What's going on? Can you can you can you take on finding a partner uh, during during over Zoom? Is this is this happening? <laughs> so the partner part, I cannot speak to as much. Um, I also feel like everyone's risk tolerances are so different right now. So I guess I would just say with that be really good at setting your boundaries and communicating them. That's a lesson that I really hope people, especially women take from Mm -hmm. this experience is that communicating your boundaries is keeping you safe. And Mm -hmm. just because someone has different boundaries than you doesn't mean you need to change yours. And Mm -hmm. even just for me, I, um, recently, cause I was losing it without physical touch uh, yeah. or flirting or feeling desired. I was like, I f- feel like I'm losing a piece of myself because I am. Uh, I was just exchanging voice messages with people on Bumble. Uh, and also pro tip, don't text, send voice messages or video messages. It's for me feels so much more nourishing than just typing words. Uh, but there was a guy who was not following social distancing whatsoever. Mm. And it hurt me (laughs) to not be able to meet this gorgeous man. I just couldn't do it for my roommate's safety, for my own safety. It just would not be responsible. And so having to set that boundary and getting that practice was, was really good for me. Um, But aside from romantic partners, I would say one thing is to just know that, if you're really craving deeper connection, know that others around you are as well. And one thing to do is if you're noticing in conversations with the people you live with, if you do live with other people like family, your roommates, whatever, if you're feeling really bored of them, ask better questions Hmm. because typically Boring conversations come when you're not curious about the people in front of you. And so how can you bring total curiosity and fascination to your parents, your roommates, whoever? Uh, For example, my roommates and I, we were having dinner. We've been together for the past four months. We've been living together for years. We know a lot about each other. And I was like, what are you, what's your family lineage like? Like, what were your, what's the story of your grandparents and your great grandparents? And then we just spent hours talking about what we knew about our grandparents and great grandparents, these things I had no idea about them or their families. And it was such a fun, nourishing conversation. And it was just because I brought forward a new thing to talk about with genuine curiosity. Mm-hmm. I, I did that with my mother with uh, a video camera. Um, and I don't know if that helps people or not. I know people aren't documentary producers out there, but if you want to learn how to do documentary, <laughs> you know, one way to do it is just start interviewing and filming the people around you. And you will find, thing, find things out once you just have that format. Like I interviewed my mother about her childhood 
um, and uh, and just about you know the job the odd job she did as you know a poor kid in Washington State picking berries mm. and you know doing I don't even, you know child labor basically you know like mm. six seven years old wow. in, in rural Washington mm. um, as you know her mom was not around and that that her own experience growing up as an isolated child um, doing labor. Um, you know, in the same house that she lives in today, you know, and, and, and growing up and her experience flying into Vietnam during the Vietnam Wars, a Pan Am mm. flight. I mean, stuff that was like wild. <laughs> You're stories. like, mom, you never told me this. Wild <laughs> stories. Yeah. You got to ask. Yeah. You've got to ask. <laughs> <laughs> And yes, and ha- for me, having the camera helped me mm-hmm. like doing a little piece. And I don't know if that resonates with other people, but yeah, you could do like a radio interview with the people in your house. I think that's mm-hmm. an amazing, mm-hmm. you know, if you're just looking, if you're looking for that clear challenge, I challenge you to interview the people around you, hear their stories and the, the stories of the families and, and how they grew up. What do you think, Broderick? Does that mm. get the, uh, does Dude, that get the, ther- is, is that the therapist seal of approval right there? Or is there, what do you think? It's just making me think about Seinfeld again, man. <laughs> what? <laughs> Everything is Seinfeld. I'm thinking of uh, what did Kramer do when he had the old stage, the talk show stage in his apartment, and as everyone walking, he's like, "Oh, Jerry's here." So, Jerry, uh, how's your how's your day going? And I like that sort of like taking on that mentality that this person I'm sitting in front of, I think I know mm-hmm. only based on the uh societal rules based on what it means to know someone Mm -hmm. and so that might mean what do you what do you do for work oh interesting do you like weather yeah i like weather weather's pretty cool (laughs) what kind of weather it's like you know what i mean so i like that idea of like shaking it up Mm -hmm. and actually deepening your connection with people by asking those deeper questions and just uh in terms of building intimacy it involves vulnerability and you can't be vulnerable unless someone is taking that interest in a in you know not an interrogation way shining the the light tell me tell me about your childhood you know um but really easing into it and having a nice little give and take you know and i don't know i'm I'm curious also uh, about Julian's advice for, you know, breaking, breaking the ice. Yeah. Yeah. I have so many thoughts on this because so I, I've been running a women's group called five weeks to find your people. And I've been learning so much about what prevents people from finding deeper connection. Cause when, when women join, they fill out an intake form and I ask them, what they're hoping to learn in the program. And the number one thing people say is something along the lines of how to form deeper connections, like how to feel more deeply connected to people. And it really comes down to this skill of being able to have a better conversation. Uh, And two things I'll say about that. One is I know a lot of people really struggle with feeling self-conscious in conversations. Like, am I going to say the right thing? Uh, am I going to sound impressive? Am I going to like, how do I, how am I coming off? Are they judging me? Mm. And the benefit of being a really good listener is that attention, you go off of yourself and onto the other person, which will inherently reduce your anxiety because 
you don't have to think about what you're going to say next. You just are listening to what they're saying and ideally with presence and then can ask good questions. And uh, another thing that I offer the women or just to anyone is to use a timer in conversations. This sounds so silly. Interesting. And so I feel like anytime you find a connection exercise online or whatever, and you want to try it with someone in your life, the key is to one, like, of course, get their permission and tell them your intention for why you want to do this thing. So to say, hey, uh, I listened to an interview and this this lady talked about the power of setting a timer in conversations. I would really love to feel more connected to you. Are you open to doing that? Hmm. Instead of just saying, hey, I want to do this thing. They have no idea why. They don't know why it matters to you. And of course, it feels so sweet to hear someone say, hey, I want to feel more connected to you. You're like, mm. oh, okay. They're probably going to be softer and more open to that. And what I have people do is, so Broderick, if you were my partner, I would set a timer for 10 or 20 minutes or longer. Uh, and I would ask you a starting question. Typically, a good one is just like, what's something that you've been really thinking about recently? What's What's been top of mind for you? And you just talk and I listen. I don't interrupt you. And when there's a natural pause, I would ask you an open question or I would reflect what I'm hearing you say. And those are two really important listening skills to, to not ask you just a yes or no question mm -hmm. uh, or a question that's masking advice, but a question like, oh, wow, when was a time in your life when you also felt that way? Or, um, oh, man, my brain is going blank on open questions. But something along those lines. I kind of I jokingly call them therapist therapist questions. Those are therapist questions. They're therapist yeah. questions. Mm -hmm. I'm like, exactly what they are is a therapist question. Like, you wouldn't say, oh, have you ever thought that you might just be angry? Like, that's a closed question. That's a leading question. That's a question where you're just masking what you're thinking. That's mm. fucked up. We cannot have these be therapist questions. This is, <laughs> I, I, okay, look, look like I, th this is not a therapist question. We need more people to ask open-ended questions yeah. if we're going to have a better yeah, society. Yeah, well, this is you the know. thing is people will say, they're like, oh, I'm afraid that I'm going to sound like I'm analyzing them or like I'm condescending because people aren't used to hearing them talk in this way. And mm -hmm. so this is a reason why I'm a big advocate for workshops or having a practice partner or something so you can feel more natural when asking mm -hmm. these types of questions. Uh, I'm in a thing called a spiritual formation group. We've been meeting every Wednesday for a year and we all just share and ask each other open questions. And so mm -hmm. now for me, it's so natural because I've gotten all these hours in. But for most people, it's a very new skill and a thing that's also helpful is to think, what kinds of questions do I wish people asked me? What mm. kinds of conversations do I want to have? And then, like, mm. secret, you ask people those questions and then you're having those conversations. Uh. This is the hack. <laughs> what do you think, Broderick? Is Jillian already a therapist? Did she skip therapy school and just has gone straight to the other side? What's, what's going on? What do you think? I can't say that legally, but I can say it sarcastically. <laughs> um, 
but it's it, it's interesting because all we're all we're talking about is is people feeling seen, really seen. And to feel really seen, you need that open space, that open blank canvas of, of a question for someone to fill it with all of their stuff, what they're willing to to share, what they're not willing to share. And that openness, uh, it allows a lot of space, space for people to just be, not to be the labels that we project onto them or the things that they're trying to be in society to think, you know, oh, if I'm this or that, I'm good enough. Um, it's just, it's openness and it's, and it's rawness and people can choose, you know, how raw do I want to be? You know, how, you know, how closed off do I want to be? And, and really allowing that space. I think we're very used to boxes and not allowing our humanity to flow into that open space. It has to flow into a career or a job or a relationship where there are expectations and transactions and just this conditional transactional kinds of relationships. So with open, open-ended questions, you know, when I'm sitting in a, in a therapy room, people are very uncomfortable with these open, oh, I don't know if I'm explaining this right. If I had a nickel, Really? You know, it's uh, yeah, every single time, and um, I, I think that's very, very opposite to our culture and valuing the individual's personal experience and building space for that, and understanding that their experience is different from everyone else's. So, no, no one will say anything that you've heard before. Uh, and if you know, and if that is the case, then you may not be asking the right questions. Mm-hmm. What you just said, so interesting. The the uh, I don't know if I'm explaining this right. I feel like I so often hear, uh, since I mostly work with women, women say like, oh, I don't know. Just at the end of some beautiful thing they said, we'll end with I don't know. And I'm like, it sounds like you do know. <laughs> it sounds like you know exactly you what's going on. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Ugh, drives me nuts. And, and I, I mean, I don't, not to negate that that's a very gendered thing but also like guys that grew up in child abuse thing like it's like mm-hmm. codependence anonymous uh, aca like we're all anybody who grows up in a situation where mm-hmm. you don't feel validated you feel invisible mm. which is ob- absolutely a gendered construct but also like if you're a guy and you feel that way i feel that way yeah. i do that you know because mm-hmm. when i grew growing up i was around people that were not sober all the time so there's always for me this like, did I say that right? Did I say the wrong thing? Did I have the wrong tone? Because as a mm-hmm. little kid, if you're a little kid, if it's because there's something going on with your parents, whether they're, uh, you know, sexist towards you in your in your upbringing, or they have their own issues going on, if there's not that space for listening and emotional attunement. Mm-hmm. You're you're always trying to hack what you're saying, and you're never yeah. quite sure how it's landing and you're always like mm-hmm. uh, i'm not gonna i'm gonna i'm just gonna leave it kind of open-ended in my like declaration of my own truth so it's mm-hmm. like a lot of us i, I understand mm-hmm. completely totally not negating that it's a gendered thing yeah so it's also I, I just see so many guys dealing with that and if you're a guy out mm-hmm. there dealing with that it doesn't mean you're girly or anything it just means that's how <laughs> totally kids, that, that's just how kids grow up when parents are unreliable or just don't have that attunement. But we just dropped some psych. I just dropped some psychology. I don't know what I'm talking about. We need the doctor. Is that, Mm. is that a real thing? What I just said? Oh yeah, man. You're talking about learning. Yeah. Talking about learning. 
you learn that I learn that people don't listen to me mm. unless I help them. That's why I'm a psychologist. You see, mm. that's why I help people. Um, you know, people don't listen to me unless my facial expressions are more demonstrative, or if I tell jokes, mm. more jokes. If I am more charismatic, if I take up more space, if I'm louder. So now I've broken down my entire personality to my upbringing. Which is just, it's <laughs> You're like, it's me. Mm-hmm. Good. Mm-hmm. I thought you were talking same, about same. me. I thought, I thought I was getting called out. I'm me too. Talking about yourself. <laughs> yeah. See? See, there it is. Yeah. There it is. And it's uh, and everyone's and it's just learning. We're all just chameleons in that way. So I think when it comes to connecting in an individualistic society, we're all sort of in this water, not understanding what the water is. A fish would never ask what water is, um, mm-hmm. and. So we all have these these social contexts where we mask our authentic experiences. And then we think that, oh, I can't share that with anybody else. So then when someone starts to try to share with you, it's no, 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 no. You know, I don't don't be real with me because I don't want to be real with you. And in a lot of caregiver child relationships, that's how it might be. You know, so for myself. Um, my parents just just went through it in their um, in their upbringings, and so there's a lot of anxiety, sadness, trauma there. There's a lot of stuff. So then it's okay. I don't want to dig into that stuff, and I don't know how. So I'm just gonna go ahead and not. And this is this is the story of so many people. So then when a kid doesn't doesn't know any better, hasn't been hit by the cold hard facts of life yet, you know, mom, dad, da, 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 oh, I, or I'm sad or I'm angry. It's just whoa, 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 kiddo. Like, I can't handle my own sadness, so you're reminding me of that, and I'm going to need you to go ahead and stop. And that's not explicit like that. It's just like walling off to what our emotion in ourselves can cause us to wall off from emotional experiences in others. And it does take that, the healing potential of open, more open relationships, more open forms of expression uh, to really come into and find ourselves. And that just doesn't mean uh, within relationships per se it can also mean in doing doing a podcast and speaking more freely this could mean you know a lot of different things chasing passion despite what other people say about those things you're sort of learning to tune into your authentic experiences Um, but i think when it comes to relationships like with another person there's a lot of learning that's loaded onto that, that we sort of have to work through. But I think it'd be really, it can be really helpful just understanding that, well, yeah, you're, you're just, you've learned patterns and now you're going to play out those patterns in your relationships. And if you don't like how you relate to people um, or, or you don't like what you learn as you're thinking about these things, it's okay to go to therapy. It's okay to, if you're not sure, you know, if you're not sure you want to go to therapy, like join a, com- a community, something to start to practice those things and see if you can find that authentic voice of yours, you know. Sorry, it's pretty loaded. So just to take a moment to plug whenever we can, um, there are affordable situations out there for people to get help. It, like, like Broderick, I like what you said, you know, it doesn't always have to be therapy to start a recovery path. It could be you know, the thing I did, uh, a- a- ACA, adult children of alcoholics, there's codependent anonymous, there's, uh, the codependence anonymous, there's, uh, uh, Al-Anon, uh, Jillian in her book has a million different groups, uh, and ideas. 
Um, and then there's also sliding scale therapy to start these conversations. I just need to say that because, look, the truth is the mental health system is annoying and hard, and it's really easy for people to have a terrible experience mm-hmm. trying to find a therapist and say, you know what, this is impossible. I don't have $100 a session uh, to start. And it's totally a valid interpretation of an experience to mm-hmm. say, this sucks. Um, it's just that there are other things out there. There's also sliding scale clinics. There's mm-hmm. also clinicians, Dr. Broderick, maybe you could speak to this a little bit, who mm-hmm. do sliding scales on an individual level and will help somebody out. Um, mm-hmm. And they and you might be able to get help from a therapist if you just email a therapist and say, look, I'm in your town. Do you know anybody around who might be able to help? Yeah. Um, just need to plug that because mm-hmm. it's easy to get to give up and become cynical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and this is and this is the interesting thing, you know, and um, so there can be a lot of bad therapists out there. Mm-hmm. Just can be or just kind of eh, not really do it for me, you know, things like that. But when you consider the fact that you only need one, one good, <laughs> that's what happened to me. This, I remember this, this old fucking white guy and he still <laughs> agitates me because he was smarter than me. And I learned that very quickly, and it made me very uncomfortable because my intelligence is like my vanguard. Like, no one <laughs> get to me. You can't see me, you know. And and um, he was so good. He tuned my ass up. And that that six months, like, drastically changed my life. So for people mm-hmm. listening and you're like, eh, I don't want to do that. If you strike gold once, like, you yeah. gold, no one's going to care. And it's about, like, just to say, like, reach out to folks, you know, hey, uh, you know, this is my financial situation. Do you offer sliding scale? Do you have any colleagues who do that? Do you, is there a graduate student clinic at some university around? Is there, there are just so many options. So if you just really do your due diligence, you're going to uh, find something. Um, but even then, I, I think therapy, uh, people aren't always ready for it. Um, and I, and for myself, like books changed my life and prepared me for therapy. Mm-hmm. Meditation prepared me for therapy. So I was ready to be in that space. My relationships, trying to improve those relationships in my life that prepared me, uh, to sit in front of a, a therapist and really be seen. Um, so it's, it's, it's a process, but, um, I think every, everyone could use it just and when I say use it, I mean, being seen as you are. You know, being accepted as you are, so you can learn to accept yourself as you are. And and Dr. Broderick, just I'm 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 sorry, Jillian, just to pause the conversation just for a moment because this is just such. A, I mean, we can't say this enough. If we, if we said this on every episode and everything that we did, I think this would be uh, a blessing. Um, just as a therapist, though, um, because I think especially people who are dealing with mental health stuff. We're dealing with um, feelings of shame, of inadequacy, of we don't want to be a burden, right? Like that's a lot of the thing that we get into uh, as mental health sufferers. Um, we don't want to be a burden. Is it a burden to get an email saying, hey, do you, can you help me or do you know anybody who could help me? I don't have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Or is that like a normal <laughs> thing in, in, in psychology? I'll, I'll give you the, the broader cancer. Um, anyone, any therapist that, that gets an email and he goes, oh, this suffering person is emailing me. All these suffering people, they're so annoying. <laughs> Fuck them. Get out of here. You Fuck know, that's not, that's not, that's not someone that, that you, that you want anyway. And if that's the response, then they won't respond. 
you know, and, and it is what it is. And that's the other thing, too, is that not everyone can always respond. Um, but you're here for service. If you have a broken arm and, you know, you're trying to schedule, you know, with a with a doctor. Oh, sorry, I don't have anyone to schedule oh, or, or this is and that you're walking around with a broken arm. At some point or another, you're going to have to tune that up. And I think mental health is like it's almost like a, um, a, a splinter in the consciousness and eventually it gets painful enough to the point where I'll have to, you know, go in or do something or, or mm-hmm. supplement or things like that. Um, but like, you know, this is also what I say all the time. This is not medical advice, please. You know, <laughs> this is not me therapizing you. Um, yeah. but I, I think it is, it, it's, you know, we have to understand, you know, as a consumer of mental health services, um, uh, myself, uh, I had to sort of work over that hump as well mm-hmm. um, because when I sat down with my first therapist, oh man, oh man, I remember that. This was in, I was in grad school still in Louisville and I sat down and I was, oh man, this is funny. And I was sitting there and I'm, you know, trying to be really smart and commenting on all the books in the wall and like trying to find the books that I've read too. Mm-hmm. And then we start like getting into it and she's like, yeah, this is that. What's going on? And I start telling her just an anecdote that I'm upset about. And yeah, this is that. And then she goes, wow, that sounds really hard. And I was like, nope. And I <laughs> didn't show up ever again. <laughs> Never again. And and that is what is what. And I made up some reason. Oh, I'm just not, you know, I'm not like that. This and that. So I think for people seeking therapy, being having been on both sides of the couch, if you're not ready to find a therapist and you're like, well, I don't want to mm. be a burden or this or that, and you don't keep choosing to try to find a therapist, maybe you're not ready for therapy. And that's yeah. okay too, you know, because they're out there. You look hard enough for most anything to find it. Um, so, yeah. Not the answer I was looking for, but I'm glad <laughs> we got that answer. Um, but I'll just say, Hey, look, just, just, just talk to people. Like it's part of psych. When I, when I tell, when I tell other patients, like it's part of psychology or at least people who are good to give back and just connect people and to put emails on listservs and to say who's out there, who can help this, who could help this person for $15 a session. Like they're really poor, but they're, like this, it's just it's normal. It's you're not weird for sending that email. Um, at the same time, too, if you're not ready, you're not ready. And I totally uh, agree with Broderick. Um, so, Julian, we've we've kind of gone a little bit more into the philosophical. We've got we've got a few action steps. What what do you think about the philosophical? Is this a good place to be to uh, to quash loneliness? To be in these kind of places where you're thinking about uh, loneliness, or do you think it is? Do we? Is it time to get to work and just to get this loneliness done? <laughs> get, get it done. <laughs> squash it forever. Are we going to squash this thing, or uh, or do, are, do, do you think do, do you think people that you know who who you consult would 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 uh, get value out of the kind of conversation that we're having? Oh, completely. I think these are the things that like this mingling of action steps plus kind of the fears of what's going on in our mind that's preventing us from taking these steps, I think is so important because anyone can look at a list of things to do and be like, 
well, for some reason, I don't want to do any of these things. And I guess that's it. <laughs> and that we're looking at kind of like the the shadow of this mm. and thinking, okay, why is it that people don't want to do these things? That's like we we all know what's good for us. My, yeah. my favorite coaching tip that someone ever gave me uh, for, for doing one-on-one work, some people hate this question, but most people don't even notice, is when they're like, oh, I have no idea what to do. And if you say, what if you did know what to do? Mm. And then suddenly they give you an answer? It's like, what weird brain backdoor did we just go into? Where you're like, well, I don't know, but it, but if I did know, mm-hmm. then it would be insert like literally the perfect thing for this person to do. Um, this is a reason why I really recommend to people to write themselves a letter because it kind of takes you out of yourself and allows you to connect with like, if you're talking to yourself, like you're your own best friend or writing a letter from your higher power, mm-hmm. if that's something you believe in. Like, you've got the answers in you a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a huge tip for me. That's a huge tip for me to you. The tip is you have it within yourself to do mm-hmm. the thing. Yeah. What do you think, I can, I can also it? give more actionable mm-hmm. tips than that, but I think that's a really important thing to try. That's an important thing to try. And you wrote down all of the action tips in your book on Lonely Planet here, uh, which is available mm-hmm. uh, is it any? Is it available anywhere besides Amazon? It's available on bookshop.org as well. Bookshop.org. I never heard of bookshop.org, but that's where I'm going to recommend people go uh, buy your book because yeah. Jeff Bezos is here in town. I know. And uh, he has like the same, amount, the same amount of money as like Switzerland while there's like literally people sleeping underneath a, uh, a bridge. And they, our city will not tax Jeff Bezos. They refuse our uh, mayor Jenny Durkin will not have any city tax. No, and the state will not have any state tax. Jenny, so our, our mental health services are. Jenny, not, what are you doing, Jenny? Yeah, she's in. Tr- she's in trouble. She's in trouble. People started. It's so bad. People started showing up at her house last week. Nice. This week, you know, because people need, we need like and mental health services is absolutely part of something people are talking about because Jeff Bezos is so rich and Jeff Bezos, you know. If you got to go to Amazon, you got a disability. I've been there. Like, I've been so sick that I couldn't move and I needed someone just to drop the thing off in two days. And if if that's going to help you, go do it. No shame. But action tips, Unlonely Planet, we got it right here. But uh, what do you think, Barak, as as we start to wind down this conversation, is is there validity in that? Because we do live in a culture that is always, it's about lists, it's about doing the thing, it's about order. Or is there a more holistic truth inside of all of us that once we can once we can actualize mm. where we are and fe- and be present where we are that we can tap mm-hmm. into for better results than are going to be on any list? Mm-hmm. Well, the list your your higher self, your holistic truth is always right here, right now. Mm-hmm. So now we are in an organized format. We're podcasting. Look at us. We're so serious. And we have the, we're doing a thing, right? But then also at the same time, we are humans with our stuff and our feelings and our thoughts and our past. And it's all sort of happening at the same time. So 
I think what I'm sort of saying is while you're engaging in the action, as long as you're engaged at the same time with that present moment experience, you can see how the lists and the action steps are sort of making you feel. And you might find that, oh, like this, this, 20, this list of 20 things long, really, I only felt really, really good for two of those things that I did. So I'm just going to go do those two things all the time. You know, so as you uh, are engaging, whatever you're engaging in, in the role, that more holistic truth is always there, no matter how much we try to dress it up and say, I'm this and this is the way things have to be and blah, 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 blah. If you're in touch with that higher truth, you can see how stupid that kind of seems, you know, that, oh, so because I have a tie on, I'm all of a sudden not a human. Um, I, I see this all the time in business meetings. It's just, okay, this is how the meeting's supposed to go. And, da, 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 and blah, 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 blah. And we miss what's happening. So we yeah. can't even build upon and make those meetings more real and authentic. Mm. Um, so it's, ha it's happening all the time. We just, we can tune into that. You see how quickly when I just call it the fact that, look at us, we're in this format, but we have all our stuff. It's always there all the time, 100% of that time, that more holistic, you know, collective human experience within the roles, within the lists. You know, I'll just say just because I want brownie points that I had a whole bunch of questions in a format and I just saw the flow was going good. So I just like I just dropped it. So, you nice. know, an invitation to just throw that shit out the window throw it away. Um, and and as you said earlier, Dr. Broderick, with like with therapy and with a therapist, you don't need everything. Right. Jillian, your book has like a million things that you can do but you don't need all of the communities mm -mm. if you have like that would be bad <laughs> well yeah for you know for most people unless you know maybe there are certain people that can do all of the things but that's not most people if you, you don't need all the things if you just have that one solid community whether it's mm -hmm. your church mm -hmm. uh, you know your mosque your synagogue if you just have that one solid piece your recovery group and a few friends and the connection with your family for a lot of people, that's all you need. And you just need to strike gold, as you said, Dr. Broderick, once, as with a therapist, as is, I would argue, with community. Jillian, last thoughts, uh, final words? Ooh, no, I'm like, uh, last thoughts, final words. Uh, I mean, I'll just echo what I said before that. However you're feeling, you're not alone in that experience that so many people are craving deeper connection right now. And just because they're not sharing it doesn't mean it's not true. And if you can't widen your social circle right now because of your circumstances with coronavirus, just get really curious about the people around you. Ask them really mm -hmm. good questions. And that also applies to yourself. Get really curious about yourself. Ask yourself questions you've never asked yourself before. Journal more. Mm. Uh, quick book recommendation. I've been going through The Artist's Way during quarantine. It's a 12-week program to help you get in touch with your creativity. It is so profound. It's such a beautiful program. So if folks are looking for something to, to get in touch with themselves, I really recommend that. Broderick, final, nice. final. Final, final. Yeah, just kind of tuning into the self, really. You know, I think we, we talk a lot about how to 
get out of ourselves and get into communities. Um, but really within yourself, you're also your own community. And if you're not familiar with that inner landscape, uh, then you may not know what community you're craving because mm -hmm. you don't know how you feel. You know what community you already are. Um, so that that's really what what I think I'd recommend for folks who are, you know, unsure about where to start. Um, but also, even if folks are, uh, if they are not sure what's inside, not ready to look, you know, just get out there and start doing things. <laughs> start, start start reading. Mix it up. You know, if you're doing, if you're unhappy with your situation, if you continue to do what you're doing, then you will continue to be unhappy in your situation. And if you don't want to change it all at once, tweak something small and then mm. see how you feel. And tweak something else and see how you feel. Um, if you tweak your ankle because you tweak something and it didn't work out, rest up and then get out there and do, do something else. Um, so, so change is really what I would recommend. Different ways of relating to ourselves as well as our communities, our relationships, more open-ended questions. I really like that advice. Um, so yeah. Final finals. Thank you both for, uh, for this conversation. It has been, uh, I've really enjoyed it. And I feel, uh, I feel like I'm going to take a little bit of this uh, away into my own life uh, as we go into, uh, into the next week. I think I'm, I'm going to do that interview with my stepdad. Ooh. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> cool. Thank you both. Uh, I appreciate you. Thanks for your time and uh, all of your wisdom. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you. <laughs> that second one's for you, Broderick. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for tuning in everybody and thanks to our guest this week jillian richardson author of unlonely planet a manual for creating community finding friends in this day and age um super great book a book that has changed my life pick it up um wherever you can find it uh, highly recommended. Um, and our theme song, it's Total Meltdown by Total Meltdown, New York hardcore band. Um, some of my friends back home, shout out to Chris Enriquez and the crew. Uh, you can check them out, totalmeltdownnyhc.bandcamp.com. Uh, um, you can follow me, Zookman, at Z-O-O-K-M-A-N-N on Twitter. Dr. Broderick is BroderickA88 on Twitter working on a new uh, website for him that'll be up sooner than later see how fast see how fast i can make a website these days uh with all the stress going on i'm very slow very slow my work is slow but that's okay it's gonna be a good website and when it's up there's gonna be meditations there's gonna be info on dr broderick ways to make uh political impact and plug into uh activist coalition it's gonna be good it's gonna be good uh as always our show is executive produced by A.V. Flocks. And a special thanks to Tom Trottier, Tamara Broadhead, and Patrick Mohan. And thanks to all of our GoFundMe supporters. Neil D., Mecky M., Carolina P., Ryan P., Chip and Neds, Metal D., Tall Paul M., Joel R., Ben G., Vinny R., Patty M., Sean H., Linda E., Franklin G., Johnny P., Sophia M., Jackie M., 
Bob S, Rose P, Jeannie A, Handy H, Tim W, Stephanie P, Patrick L, Judy B, David L, Stuart M, Jim E, Cash G, Sean D, The Smo, Alex B, Marilyn S, Colin F, Lauren B, Patricia M, Phil A, and Ivan M. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, oh, and of course, I, I didn't plug the website. Check out the website, mentalhealthmedia.org. Uh, and if you're looking for the meditations, mentalhealthmedia.org slash meditation. You can see all the meditations with Dr. Broderick. I don't know how I left that out. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening. Until next time, take care of yourself and look out for each other. Zai Gazant.